Good morning. I'm sorry for that long reading. I feel like I can preach 10 sermons from those uh, 20 verses. Um, so as I said, uh, we are starting this journey uh, into the book of Philippians, uh, and I hope and pray uh, that, um, that you'd be blessed uh, by this book. The first time um, I've kind of encountered this book was an undergraduate. I was um, um, uh, in, our in our Bible class. Uh, I read it and just fell in love with it uh, and um, have done a lot of work around the book of Philippians. Uh, so I feel like I have all this stuff that I want to share. So it might be a while before we leave this morning. So just uh, a heads up. <clears throat> Someone said that I'm becoming Pastor Cindy. So and that was a compliment, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Cindy. All right, so here's the background of this church. Uh, the background of this church uh, is uh, Paul started this church. Paul was the one who went into um, Asia um, um, and started this church. If you can pull up, uh, uh, pull up the slide for me. All right, so you can see all that. Uh, can you all see blue dot somewhere in Jerusalem? That black big circle that's there, that is essentially where Paul was working, uh, and uh, that was the region. So that's, uh, that's called Asia Minor, uh, and if you keep going west, you're going into Europe, um, and you're going away from Asia. So, and, but Paul wanted to go to where uh, the arrow is pointing black. Matt, if you can take the computer screen or something and just try to highlight it, see if that works. There you go. Can you all see that? All right. Paul wanted to go there, uh, but the Spirit of God told him not to go there. This all is found in Acts chapter 16. So he ends up where the blue arrow is. Uh, that's called uh, Torres. Um, and he's kind of hanging out there, uh, and God's Spirit is telling him to just wait. And during that time of waiting, he gets a vision that the Macedonian man was calling Paul to come to the region. So Paul and Silas uh, enter uh, the region of Macedonia, uh, where that purple circle is, uh, and end up where that red arrow is, and that is the city of Philadelphia, uh, Philippi. <clears throat> and the city of Philipp Philippi was, um, was not a predominantly Jewish uh, uh, population wasn't there. Uh, there was no synagogue at that place in that city. Most of uh, Asia Minor and all throughout the known world, uh, wherever Jews went, they started, uh, they were worshiping in the synagogue. They would start one. And the reason Philippi was, they didn't have uh, a synagogue was because there were not enough people, not enough Jews, because this was predominantly a military town. It was not a town for merchandise. It was not selling and things like that. It was mostly military, so there were a lot of Romans there. And at this place, uh, they found several women who were worshiping um, the living God. They were, they were called God-fearing people. That means they worshiped Yahweh, the living God, the God that Jews worshiped, but they did not formally convert to Juda Judaism. So that is where the church gets started. And I can go a lot more into what that church looked like, but here are some of the key members of who belonged to this church. There was Lydia, who was uh, most likely from 
all the research uh, scholars have done. Uh, she was a single parent because she's identified as head of the household. Uh, she's a single parent and she's a businesswoman. Uh, there is a prisoner who is part of this church. If you remember this story in Acts chapter 16, the prisoner and his entire household become, ch uh, become Christians. And there is a slave girl who was redeemed by Christ and the prayers offered by Paul. So those are the three families that were part of this uh, church. So that's kind of a little background of how the church got started. You have a businesswoman, you have a prisoner, and you have a slave girl who are all are found in this church. And then Paul is writing this to this um, church from prison. We know that Paul is going through a really difficult time, and I love biblical scholars because they can argue about anything. So everyone says there are three different locations where Paul wrote this uh, from. He might have written it from Corinth, which is literally next door to Philipp uh, Philippi. I don't think so. Uh, and some say that Paul wrote this letter much early in his uh, career as, um, because Paul was imprisoned several times. And they think Paul might have written this like five or two years into uh, his ministry. I, I doubt that as well. Uh, from what my understanding is that Paul is writing this letter towards the end of his life. Uh, Paul has kind of come to his end of his life. He's in a Roman prison, and that is where he is uh, writing this letter. And so uh, it's towards the end of his life, uh, and Paul is imprisoned, and he is grateful uh, that he's still able to preach the good news while being in prison to the Roman guards. So that's kind of what we talk about. How many of you, do you, how many of you still write letters? Like with your hand, not, not like computer. All right. Not many, right? It's a, it's, it's a lost art, right? I was taught letter writing when I was a kid, and they said that each letter, the opening statement is really important, Right? And once you start reading the opening letter, it kind of sets the tone. You all took letter writing, right, at school some point? Please raise your hand so that I feel like I'm talking. All right, thank you. All right, right? Like, it was really important, right? It, it told you what your first lines need to be, and uh, it's a lost art anyway. Like, for example, when you get, uh, when you haven't paid your PICO bill for six months, you don't get something like this. Dear Babiak family, we are thinking about you during this hot summer season. Hope you're well. <laughs> uh, we are wondering, uh, we are writing to inform you that you have not paid your bill in six months. If it's not too much of a bother, would you kindly consider paying? <laughs> right? Did you ever receive that? No. No. This is what you get when you don't pay. Final notice. <laughs> I got this in the mail the other day. And I asked Kristen, why didn't you pay this bill? And she goes, you're the one who's supposed to pay bills. Go pay this bill. So, right? Like, it sets the tone. The opening words set the tone for what the letter is all about. So, today I'm going to spend a lot of time on verse 1. And my whole sermon today is about those couple of opening lines. And then I'm going to end with uh, uh, a key verse, uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. So, here's what we read. Here are the opening words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Here Paul is identifying himself and his uh, fellow pastor, Timothy, as servants. Actually, the Greek word that is used here is douloi or doulos. And he's saying that they are bond servants, that they are slaves of Christ. He's the slave of Christ. Slaves, when you think about slaves, slaves don't have any rights. Their sole objective of a slave is to please the master. They don't have a personal will. They simply do what the master tells them to do. So Paul and Timothy both here are acknowledging that they're slaves of Jesus Christ. That they're willing to subject themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And give up their will in order to please their master. In this letter that Paul is writing, Paul doesn't open with the words, I, Paul, the apostle, to introduce himself. Apostle, that was a good term. It, it, it would tell everybody who he was and what he did. But no, he identifies himself as a slave. See, Paul is starting out this letter with a sense of humility that was around it. And I think that sets the tone for the rest of the, the letter. That Paul is talking about being a slave. That Paul is willing to empty himself and subject his life to the will of the master. And that's a theme that we're going to be seeing all throughout the, uh, throughout the, the verses as we, as we go through. Another thing that Paul um, does here is um, he, the way he addresses everyone in his church. And Amy Oden kind of makes this point. She says, she notes this, that God's holy people, along with the overseers or the elders or the bishops and deacons. It's important for us to pause and ponder what these words mean for us, what these words mean for each one of us. This letter is addressed to all the people, to all of God's holy people. As many of you know, Paul uh, is a Roman citizen and he knows everything about what it means to be a Roman. And as I said earlier, that the city of Philippi was a military city. Paul could have very easily addressed this letter in a very military fashion, right? When you think about the military, you think about a chain of command. You have somebody on top, and then you have somebody else, you have somebody else, and then that's how the message gets passed down from one to the other, to the other, to the other. But no, Paul doesn't do that. Paul here says that this has been written to everybody in the community. Everyone who is part of the Christian community is supposed to read this letter. Everyone who's part of this community is supposed to read this letter. There was no sense of hierarchy here, that one person was more important than the other. Paul starts his letter by saying that he is a servant. That he's a servant of Christ. Doesn't use his big titles that he has for himself. And I think this is something that is, I want us to wrestle with that. That he's addressing this letter to everyone. To the whole church. To the entire community that is part of this church. And it is important for us to be a community. 
it is really, really crucial for us to be a community. Let me just say this. I think the pandemic forced us uh, to stay home from church. And we've adapted to new technologies. Many of us are watching um, online right now. We, we were able to put in new systems. Uh, and this actually has been wonderful. We've been able to get a lot of uh, views on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, and um, we're able to reach a wider audience. But friends, this morning I want to urge you that and remind us that Paul is talking about community. See, God calls preachers and pastors, um, but he also calls the congregation to be part of it. The reason we are here this morning is not uh, because it's an accident. The reason we are here is to worship God in this, se in this setting. That is the reason we are here. That is the reason we are part of this com community. And as the pandemic uh, has played out, um, and this is kind of becoming a reality of our conversations as well. And this is what I feel like the pandemic has done. We were already thinking about it in these, in these terms, and it kind of further emphasized it. We thought about Christianity being a very personal decision. We thought about being a Christian was a very personal one, which, is, which it is, because each one of us needs to say yes to Jesus. And that's, that's good. That's important. Because sometimes we viewed Christianity, especially salvation, that means being with Jesus, as I say yes to Jesus, and I go to heaven. But there's another aspect of this that's really crucial for us, that it, it's being part of a community. That we need to worship together. That we are called. This is critically important for us to worship together. And friends, uh, for those who are, who are online this morning, we are glad and eager uh, that you're worshiping with us uh, today. But I want to make a confession that we miss you for those who are worshiping online. We really do. We miss seeing you here in church, being part of this community. It used to be when someone didn't come to church for a couple of weeks, one of the pastors would reach out to them and say, hey, we haven't seen you in church for a couple of days. Where are you? But now we are not even able to do that because we don't know who's not here and who's worshiping online. And so we miss you. We dearly miss you not being here with us. So I want to urge you to be part of this community, that you would be connected together somehow or the other, because it's important. It is absolutely important. Being part of community is a matter of life and death. I'm not trying to be dramatic, friends, but it is a matter of life and death. We ask that you would be connected to our church somehow. I know it's really nice to watch worship uh, in your pajamas with a cup of coffee. <laughs> but this is important. Coming together is important. It is crucial. Please reach out to us. Please reach out to somebody else in the community. Because it is a matter of life and death. 
We hope that you would join a Bible study. As the fall is starting to roll around, we're going to be offering Bible studies. If you are not comfortable with in-person Bible studies and you want to do a Zoom Bible study, please let us know and we will make that happen for you. But being in touch with one another is absolutely crucial and important. And it is a matter of life and death. This past week, I was uh, talking to, I want to speak to the young parents uh, in the room. Uh, this past week, I was talking to my sister, um, who, who, my oldest sister, who still lives in India. And I was sharing uh, pictures of her uh, while we were on vacation. And she was kind of like talking about the kids. And my sister hasn't seen my kids in about seven years. Uh, she saw Josiah as a baby, and now he's all growing up. And we we're just talking about different things. And one of the things I said to my sister is, it's just my prayer that kids grow up safe, that they're healthy, and that they know that they're loved by God no matter what. That's just my hope for my children. And she kind of resonated with that, and we talked back and forth. But when the more I think about it, right, every parent, for every parent, that is at the heart of it. That you want your kids to grow up safe, be healthy, know that they're loved by God, that there are people speaking life and truth into their life. That's the hope of every single parent that I've come across. Recently, I read a study by the Barna Group. Uh, Barna is like the Pew Research of Christianity. And they did uh, uh, an interesting study. They were um, talking to young adults. They were talking to Christian young adults who were in college. Uh, so you start from what? 20 up, and they were kind of trying to figure out what kind of choices they were making and who was making risky behavior. Risky behavior, the way this research was identified as doing, you know, uh, sex, drugs, alcohol. Um, and who are those, you know, they went to youth group, and now they're young adults, and what is there? And so this uh, study found that um, if a kid just walked in, to a youth group, no parent involvement. He's just kind of drug himself. He said, hey, my friends are going to youth group. I'm going to go to youth group and just hung it out. They said that there was about 80% chance um, that this child would engage in risky behavior in college. 80% chance. And if a parent attended church occasionally and took the kid to youth group, this percentage dropped quite a bit. It dropped to 60%. This kid would engage in risky behavior. Right? If a parent just shows up once in a while, says, you know what? You really should go to youth group. That's it. Not really involved. But if a parent was actively involved, if a parent was actively involved in this child's life, was actively helping out, and was part of the church community, it dropped. There was 90%. It dropped a 10% chance that this kid would engage in risky behavior. 90%. Your kid is going to be safe if you as a parent are involved in the life of the faith community. Imagine that. So this is what I want to say to all the young families. Drive your kids to church. Drag them to Sunday school. Drag your kids to youth group. Help out in youth group. Be part of a Bible study. 
be part of a youth leader. Become a youth leader. It's a lot of fun. Parents, drag your kids to church. Drag your kids to youth group. Because they're going to make good choices when they are young adults. And the second one that I wanted to talk about, again, as I said, that this is a matter of life and death. I'm not trying to be dramatic again, but friends, being part of a community is a matter of life and death. And I have permission to share this story. And I said to the person I was talking, I might embarrass a couple of people if I tell this story. And this person said, no, 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 you have to tell the story. You have to tell the story. Oh, before I tell that story, let me tell this to again to the parents. I just missed it in my notes here. As parents, we have become official Uber drivers. You all know what Uber means, right? Used to be called taxi, cab drivers. We've officially become Uber drivers. Like that is like you're no longer dad, you're Uber driver first and dad second, right? When I was growing up, my calendar, my personal calendar revolved around what my parents were doing. Like if dad said, hey, we're going to go see so-and-so. And I was like, I guess we're going to go see so-and-so on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. It's like, okay, that's what we're doing. And now if somebody, one of my friends calls and says, hey, can you come hang out? I was like, let me check what Samara's doing. <laughs> right? Let me check the schedule where kids are. Right? Like, that's what we've become, right? Like, that's what we've become, whether we like it or not. And again, I'm not criticizing it. Whether we like it or not, that's who we've become. Why not be drivers that are dragging kids to faith and community living? Why not drag our kids <laughs> to faith and community living? Because that is absolutely crucial. All right, let me go to this part. <laughs> about being in community as a matter of life and death. Again, I have permission to embarrass people today, so I'm gonna do it. This is about Peggy Stewart. Peggy is an older adult in our congregation, and Peggy lives by herself. And all through the pandemic, Peggy was part of this community, especially our Bread of Life ministries. Peggy faithfully would come, wear on a mask, and sort cans, on when we are doing distribution for our guests, um, Peggy would faithfully show up every every month. She, she this is this, she was connected. This was this was her community. This was her place. And yesterday, Peggy did not show up for distribution. She did not come. And every Thursday, around Thursday or so, uh, Karen Jason, who leads this ministry, sends a very encouraging text uh, to the whole group of volunteers who are there. Um, and Peggy is usually one of the first ones uh, who responds to text messages. Like, you know, we'll all see you on Saturday, and she'll be like, I'll be there, you know, and like, you know, something or the other, she would, she would say back. And we didn't hear from Peggy when those text messages were sent out. And because she was part of the community, people noticed that, especially Marion and Bob Schufeld noticed that Peggy was not responding to this text message. And then later, Saturday came, rolled around, 
didn't hear from Peggy, and Marion kept calling Peggy's home. Um, and so Bob and Marion decided to go and see Peggy, to see what was happening, if she was home or not. And they pulled into the house, and this is, what, this is the importance of community, and Marion was telling me this story, and sorry, Marion, for embarrassing you. <laughs> Peggy told me to tell the story. Here's, here's what I want you to hear, right? Ma Bob and Marion show up at Peggy's house. Her car's in the driveway, and they go knock on one neighbor's door, and they said, have you seen Peggy? And like, I had those conversations, and they said, no. And there was another neighbor who actually Peggy gave the key to, to our house. You know, they exchanged keys. And that neighbor didn't realize or see that she hadn't seen Peggy. So Bob and Marianne walk into the house and here Peggy had fallen in her basement, broke her hip and could not move. And she went down there Friday at 11 a.m. And Bob and Marianne showed up Saturday evening. Friends, it is a matter of life and death. And Peggy, this is what Peggy wanted me to tell you. Peggy said, I was there in pain, crying. I was in so much pain. And I just said, God, please send help. God, please send help. And God sent Bob and Marion Schufeld. It's all because Peggy was connected to a community that cares for her. If you're an older adult living by yourself, please be plugged into this community. For being in community is a matter of life and death. You might be encouraging someone or someone might be encouraging you. That is what community does. We pull each other up. We show up for each other. Uh, starting next month, we're going to be starting a new ministry uh, for our older adults. Uh, once a month, we're going to be doing a luncheon. We're going to go to a restaurant, and we're going to eat together, and I hope that you would show up. The reason we are starting this ministry is when we did, when we did uh, our Wednesday lunches uh, in the evening over the summer months, 90% of those who came to those lunches, uh, dinners, Wednesday night dinners, 90% of those who were there were older adults. And we felt that there was a need for older adults to be connected together and be in community. So we, next, starting next month, Pastor Joanne's going to be organizing um, an outing for our older adults. And I pray and urge you that you would consider being part of it. Because being part of a community is a matter of life and death. I cannot even imagine the agony that Peggy went through for those hours that she lay there and the prayers that she prayed. Friends, being in community is important. No matter who you are, <laughs> no matter what age you are, being in community is important. And finally, this is what we read. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here Paul is writing this uh, piece. Uh, this, this is Paul's mission statement. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean for us to live as Christ and to die is gain? What does it mean for us to live as Christ 
What does it mean for you to live as Christ? If you want to just reflect on what we talked about today, it's being sensitive to God's spirit. Sometimes we are so caught up on our own goals and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. And that's essentially where Paul was. He wanted to go somewhere. He wanted to do something. The spirit of God said, no, don't go there. And he heard it. He was sensitive to God's leading. He was sensitive to God's leading. And be a servant. Be a servant of Christ. Paul says that he is a bond servant, doulos. Be a servant of Christ. Do things to please your master who is the Lord of your life. Be a servant. And finally, be part of a community. Because being part of a community is a matter of life and death. Let us pray.